listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 6 verses 12 through 23, and I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So what advantage did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jim. Just been asked to speak louder. Hopefully it's coming through for the live stream. And uh, man, I think I remember how to do this. It has been a while since we've had uh, a sermon here in the sanctuary. It is kind of strange with you all up there in the camera. Not really in the camera, but come on, you're basically in the camera. At least you can't see up my nose from that angle. At least I don't, I don't think you can. Anyway, uh, it is good to be back in the sanctuary. It's good to be back in the church. And I am really looking forward to next Sunday when a number of us are able to be back together to worship in person. We are in the midst of a teaching series on the book of Romans, and man, we've said this a lot throughout this series, but that reading was a doozy, wasn't it? I mean, Paul is talking about sin and slavery and what we do with our members. I'll let the adults who are watching kind of fill in the gaps on that one. Big picture on this passage, though, has to do with sin and our relationship with sin as Christians. And it's on this point in particular that Paul's writing sounds really unattainable. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, we'll start in verse 12. Some of these will be on the screen. 
Do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness. Sin will have no dominion over you. Thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. It almost sounds like Paul's saying that as Christians, we're not supposed to sin anymore. And it's not just here in the second half of Romans chapter 6 either. This entire chapter seems to be making the point that Christians aren't supposed to sin. Uh, in verse 1, this will be on the screen as well, Paul writes, What then are we to say... Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Then in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. And then again in verse 11, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It sounds like Paul is saying that as Christians, we're not supposed to sin anymore. No more messing up, no more mistakes, no more disobedience, because we're dead to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin, but to righteousness. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's a pretty high bar. Like, I know I still struggle with sin. I still make mistakes. I can't speak for Jim. You know, maybe, maybe you've arrived. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, like, I know I still screw up all the time. So this sounds pretty unattainable. It also sounds, like, dangerously close to works righteousness, to having to earn your salvation. If you're a Christian, if you're saved, if you know God and follow Jesus, then you should never sin Again, never mess up, never make a mistake, and if you do, well then maybe you're not as saved as you think you are. Maybe that free gift of salvation you received didn't really take. Is that what Paul's saying here? Because that sounds a lot like having to earn your salvation. I mean, who could measure up to this, right? Like, even the most saintly person I can imagine, the most devout, religious, mature disciple, is still a human being, right? And to err is human. We're not machines. So why set such a high bar? Well, here's the good news. I don't actually think Paul is saying that we have to earn our salvation. I also don't think he's saying that as Christians, we're expected to never sin again. What Paul is actually getting at here is far more reasonable, and I dare say far more attainable than all of that. But in order to see it, we have to put this passage in its proper context. So let's do it. We've talked about, we talk a lot about context through this series through Romans. Paul's writing to these house churches in Rome, really like a network of churches that's very divided between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. We've talked about that a lot. These churches, though, are also in this really unique position 
of having to do church and live out the Christian life in the midst of a massive global empire. Remember, Rome controls everything at this point in history. The Roman Empire stretches to most of the known world for these folks. Rome is the epicenter of power, political power, military power, uh, economics, religion, culture, and these Christians that Paul is writing to are living right in the middle of all of it. Nothing we can relate to today. But what's really interesting about this passage, in light of that context, is that when Paul talks about sin, he does so with explicitly imperial language. In verses 12 and 14, Paul tells these Christians not to let sin exercise dominion over them. That's imperial language. That word dominion could just as well be translated empire. Don't let sin exert its empire over you. Don't let sin imperialize you. That's the language Paul's using here. Paul also tells these Christians not to obey sin. Don't be obedient to sin. That word for obedience pops up like five or six times in this passage. And once again, that is imperial language. Who are you going to obey? Which kingdom do you serve? a very relevant question for folks living in Rome in the first century. When Paul talks about presenting yourselves or presenting your members in service to sin, that's the exact same language that would have been used in an imperial context when a Roman citizen or soldier presented themselves in service to Rome, offering your body in service to the empire. All this language Paul's using to talk about sin is explicitly imperial. We tend to think about sin today as like an action, right? It's like something that someone does that's bad. And so when, when we read this, we interpret Paul saying to turn away from sin as like don't do anything bad anymore. Don't make any mistakes. But Paul is not thinking in that way. Paul's using the language of empire. Don't let sin imperialize you. He's imagining sin as this force or power that is active in creation and seeking to dominate us. This sort of language would have been super familiar to the Christians in Paul's audience because they knew what it was to be dominated. They were living in the middle of empire. A lot of this stuff goes over our heads because like, we're like centuries removed fr from it. But for these Christians in Rome, the context here was super clear and super obvious. And of course, we've also got a lot of talk about slavery in this passage. Paul uses that slavery metaphor pretty freely. Um, you are no longer slaves to sin. Present yourselves as obedient slaves. You have been freed from sin and enslaved to God. That language doesn't sit very well with us, and for good reason, because of our own terrible history in the U.S. with chattel slavery and reconstruction in the Civil War and all of that injustice. But again, for the Christians Paul is writing to, slavery was an inescapable part of life in empire. We've touched on this a bit before in this series, but scholars estimate that anywhere from half to 
two-thirds of the people living in Rome at the time this letter was written were enslaved. Half to two-thirds. There are very likely more slaves living in Rome at the time Paul wrote this letter than freed people. We know for a fact many of the first Christians were slaves. There are almost certainly slaves in these house churches in Rome. And slave masters, probably, by the way. And in the Roman Empire, anyone could find themselves enslaved. If you fell into a debt that you couldn't pay back, your options were either prison or slavery. If you lost a battle or if there was a rebellion started in your town, just like that, you could find yourself enslaved. And that's because in ancient Rome, everybody served someone. Everyone answered to somebody else. This was a totally hierarchical society. It didn't matter where you fell in the pecking order. Unless you were Caesar himself, you answered to someone. You had a master. There was somebody a little higher up on the social ladder who had a direct influence over how your life Now, I know that's really hard for us to hear as Americans, but we bristle against this kind of thing because we live in a democracy, or at least we do for now. Um, but as like modern people, as like enlightened democratic Westerners, we don't like the idea of having someone to answer to. We control our lives. We're our own masters. We determine our own destinies. Yet, none of you watching on a live stream are in this room right now, and that has nothing to do with any choices or decisions that you made. See, we think we're our own masters, that we only answer to ourselves, but the world doesn't work that way. Case in point, a global pandemic. And like, that's just like one like big, once-in-a-century example. There are so many other things, day-to-day -day things, forces, demands, that exert pressure on our lives and seek to control us. Time is a really big one for me. Like, how much of modern life is a race against the clock? How much of what we do and where we go, how many of our daily distractions are due to the fact that we have a deadline to meet? Health is another factor. Uh, we have physical limitations, of course, physical ailments that interfere with our lives on a daily basis. I turned 35 last weekend, which was fun. It was, it was pretty low key. But I also, last weekend, I did something to my neck where it like hurts if I turn my head too far that way. And it still hurts, and it's been a week. And I told my wife, Erin, about this, and she was like, well, yeah, you're 35 now. This is when it starts. She's 36, so she has a lot more experience at this sort of thing than me. But yeah, we have physical limitations, financial limitations, time limitations, our health, careers, bosses, businesses, landlords, family dynamics, the seemingly random circumstances that you were born into. There are an awful lot of forces in our modern democratic society that exercise control over us. And that's because everybody serves something. 
All of us are enslaved on some level. And Paul's working with the assumption that as Christians, we are called to be slaves to righteousness. Now, this isn't works righteousness. Uh, it's not about earning your salvation because that gets the order wrong. Paul isn't saying that we need to turn away from sin and, and become slaves of righteousness in order to be in, in order to be Christians. He's saying that because we're saved, because we have been baptized with Christ and set free from sin, we should therefore stop serving sin and become slaves of righteousness. Paul's basically calling on us to transfer our allegiance as followers of Jesus from sin and death to righteousness. And this really ties in with everything we've been talking about these past few weeks. I don't know if you remember this slide. This is from a few weeks ago. But whose kingdom are you going to be part of? Are you going to be part of God's kingdom following Jesus as Lord? Or are you going to be part of the world's kingdom following Caesar? And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus and Adam. Are we going to follow in the way of Jesus, which leads to resurrection and life? Or are we going to stay stuck in the way of Adam, Adam, which leads to death? And then even last week, this chart, this big, beautiful chart, are we going to enter into the new life that is offered to us in the kingdom of God, the life that is ours in Christ from the moment we come to faith and get baptized? Or are we going to stay stuck in all the same destructive patterns and allegiances of our lives BC, before Christ. Are we going to remain enslaved to sin, or are we going to transfer our allegiance and become slaves of righteousness? Establishing right relationship with God, ourselves, and other people. This isn't about no longer sinning, no longer messing up, no longer doing anything bad ever again. Of course we will still fall short. Of course we will still make mistakes. We will still wrestle with sin, but we don't have to bow down to it. Sin is a power that is seeking to lord over us, but we are to have no lord except Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different ways this plays out practically. Think about like your life, your day-to-day -day existence. What are the forces that are seeking to dominate you? What are the forces that influence you, that direct your life? What is it you're afraid of? Who are you trying to impress? When you've got a really big decision to make, uh, what factors play into that decision? Is the goal to like climb the social ladder and get ahead? Are you looking to impress someone, earn somebody's love and respect? Are your decisions driven by fear of failure? Or when you're confronted with a big decision, do you focus on following God wherever God 
One of those paths is slavery. The other is freedom. When problems arise, what do you do? How do you navigate the ups and downs of life? Do you lean on your own ingenuity, your own wisdom, your own resourcefulness and ability to like talk your way out of it? Do you try to fly solo? And then when things don't work out the way you want them to, either resort, resort to like rage or violence or disconnection? Or do you hand your problems over to God and ask God what to do? In life, are we striving to be transformed, to live in a way that looks more and more like Jesus? Or do we prefer to keep God sort of at arm's length? Just enough religion in our lives to suit us. Almost like a, like a weekend hobby. Are you living a life of openness and transparency? Are you able to be honest with the people around you, your friends, your family, coworkers? Or do you have secrets? Is there like a shadow side? Parts of yourself that you're ashamed of, that you don't share with anyone else for fear of judgment or condemnation. You have to work really hard to keep it all hidden. That is slavery. That is not freedom. God wants all of us. Jesus wants to be Lord over every aspect of our life. There is no part of us that is too broken, too damaged, or too far gone be redeemed in Christ. Because we are no longer slaves to sin. We are followers of Jesus, adopted children of Abraham, operating in God's kingdom, called to be agents of righteousness in our world. That is true freedom. Let's pray. God, thank you for meeting us where we're at. In the midst of our enslavement to all the forces and powers that seek to dominate our lives. Thank you for giving us a way to break free from sin's dominion and to pursue right relationship with you. God, help us to be honest honest with you, honest with the folks in our lives who care about us, and honest with ourselves. Help us to identify areas of our lives that we are working to keep free from your grace, those allegiances that are keeping us from following you in full. Help us to take all that stuff, Lord, and hand it over to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. 
This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.